to see all of y'all this morning and uh, really it's always encouraging to be here and, and, and see the way the church continues to grow and, and to change a lot of new faces here and, and that's a wonderful thing. And as Brother Dingley mentioned, uh, I work with the Manor Project under the eldership of the Church of Christ in Natalia and um, really excited to be here and update y'all on the things not that I have done but that God has done with us, as y'all have had fellowship in this work, uh, y'all have fruit in this too, and so I'm really excited to be able to share these things with y'all. And when we think about the great commission that we've been given by our Lord, we understand that Jesus Christ came into the world to bring us hope, to bring us salvation. And that we have that responsibility, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That we're to share the word with everybody. And we see the example of the early church in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 that as the Christians were scattered about and, and everywhere they went, they went preaching the word. And we also understand from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 that it is God's eternal purpose that His manifold wisdom, the wisdom contained in the gospel, might be made known by the church. And if we aren't sharing God's wisdom there's nobody else to do it. And so it's so important that we do that. And when we see the Apostle Paul and his example, his approach to mission work, we see in Acts chapter 13 that he was sent out by the elders of the church there at Antioch. And he traveled about. And we see his work there in Ephesus in particular. He spent a couple of years there working in the school of Tyrannus. And he was training men, uh, pre teaching them to preach the gospel, and sending them out to surrounding uh, towns and communities. And in Acts chapter 20, the last time that he had the opportunity to speak with the brethren from Ephesus, he reminded them, the example that he gave, how he worked with his own hands, and, and how he taught them that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And brothers and sisters, we are so blessed here in this nation that we have the, the wealth, we have the ability, that we have the blessing to be those that give, those that send, and those that, that support mission works and, and different things. And that's wonderful. And our brethren in these third world countries are grateful for that, very much so. But at the same time, we keep the best blessings for ourselves because we're the ones that give. And what a wonderful thing it would be, what an empowering thing for those brethren if they can be so blessed to be the ones that give. If, if they have the resources to be able to care for the orphans and the widows in their villages, if they have what they need to be able to train and to send men out without looking to American churches for support, then they can have the blessing of being those that give rather than receive. And that is our goal with the Manor Project as we go into these places and we train these men there locally and teach them to preach the gospel, teach them to support themselves with agriculture so that when they go out, they, they can sustain themselves and, and they can continue to send and to go. And so we're trying to follow the pattern that Paul gave us in preparing men to preach the gospel of Christ. And these last couple of years have been rather challenging, haven't they? It's been easy with all of the, the masks and the, the lockdowns and the social distancing and, and all of those things to be discouraged. It's been easy to feel isolated and, and, and alone. 
with all that's going on. And it certainly has made carrying out the Great Commission a challenge. I mean, nobody wants you knocking on their door during the pandemic. And when I think about how easy it's been for us to be isolated, to be discouraged, and to feel lonely through all of this time, I'm reminded that that Great Commission, that command to go into all the world comes with a promise. Our Lord promised that He would be with us. Always. Even to the end of the world. Even if the world's coming apart. Even in the most difficult of situations. When we're doing His will, His work, we're not alone. That's encouraging. But then consider. If it's been easy for us to feel discouraged, easy for us to feel alone, what about those around us in the world who don't have that promise? Brothers and sisters, now more than ever, the world around us needs the hope of the gospel. They need the promises of the gospel. Brother Greg Knight, that I usually travel with when I go to these places, has often heard to to use this phrase, so much so that when the African brethren do an impersonation of Greg, this is the phrase they use. Plant, plant, plant. And as we teach these men to raise their own food, that's, that's important. You know, we teach them, if, if you want okra, you've got to plant okra. Don't just plant a little bit of okra. Plant a lot. And when you get done planting, plant, plant some more. And save seeds and, and keep planting more. If you want watermelons, you've you got to plant watermelons because you can't eat what you don't plant. So plant, plant, plant. And that's the key to success in, in farming. It works with growing food crops. It works with the gospel of Christ also. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 9 said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can't harvest what you don't plan. And then verse 9, he drops down. He says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let's don't get discouraged in doing the good work of sowing the seed of the gospel. Why? He says, for in due season, that is at the proper time. Well, what is the proper time for the harvest? We're talking about the gospel. Don't know. But the Lord of the harvest knows and he's made a promise that at the proper time, when the time is right, we shall reap. If. If we faint not. If we don't get discouraged. If we don't quit. If we don't give up. We keep sowing the seed of the gospel. Our Lord has promised the harvest will come. Plant. 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 A little bit of a reminder about the, the, the places that we work, the facilities where we train these men. Last time I was here, I told you about three places. There are now four. I'm really excited about that. We have a school in Kisesi, Uganda, uh, one in Modale, Cameroon, Talawanda, Tanzania, and now Joppa, Nepal. These four countries where we're training men to preach the gospel. The oldest of these schools, the Renzori School of Preaching, it's on the slopes of the Renzori Mountains in southwestern Uganda was established in 2015. It's now uh, seven years old. We've graduated two classes of students. Our third class is now three years into our two-year program. They'll be graduating next <coughs> month. It's been a hard two years for those guys. 
That school is self-sustaining for food, water, and electricity. has housing for 20 students. The main crop there is vanilla. And uh, we're also raising a lot of food crops there, raising okra, beans, corn, uh, bananas, papaya, goats, chickens, ducks, things like that. The total operating budget for that school, everything we do, the staff, the students, all the work, $1,900 a month to run a preaching school. That's not too bad. Then we have the Modalay School of Preaching in Northwest Cameroon. Uh, that school is now four years old. It's also self-sustaining for food, water, electricity, has students, has housing for 20 students. It's right on the banks of the Kumba River, which gives us great water. Uh, in addition to that, at the right time of year, we drop a trap down into the river. We can catch tilapia fish. We use those to feed the students, fertilize the crops, sell them at the market. It's, it's, it's really great for us. Uh, the main crop there is bananas. This last year, Brother Eddie Paul also added his main crops uh, corn and beans. Uh, last month in November, he pulled in a great uh, corn harvest, and he took his harvest and stored it away. And he's waiting. When everybody else's corn sells out in the marketplace, he's going to bring his corn to market. When you're the only one selling corn, you can get a pretty good price for it. And uh, that school, we have had now two graduations. Our, our second graduation was just last month in November. We had three students graduated, and we have a new intake coming in. And the total operating cost for that school has been $500 a month. Now, I don't really have any pictures to share with you because of the armed conflict that continues in that region. It's a pretty routine event uh, for Eddie Paul and our students to be stopped at an armed checkpoint and searched. And if they find a camera or a phone, they'll just take that away from you so you don't have to worry about any pictures they don't want you to have. But as long as we observe the rules and the regulations of both sides of the conflict, uh, we're okay and we are continuing spreading the gospel going from village to village and carrying God's word in that condition. Now I say the budget there has been $500 a month because one of our main goals with the MANA project is for each of these schools to become totally self-sufficient and as of this month the budget for that school is zero dollars and we're really excited about that and prayerful that as uh, we turn them loose to fly on their own. Uh, we're going to continue supporting that school, su uh, supplying uh, curriculum and resources and training, things like that. Uh, but as far as the budget goes, uh, that school should now be totally self-sufficient. So prayerfully, uh, we are setting forth with that goal in mind. Super excited about that. Then we have the Talawanda School of Preaching in Tanzania. And this is on the coastal plains of Tanzania, an area that's predominantly controlled by Muslims. That school is also self-sufficient for food, water, and electricity. And that school has housing for 20 students and their families. And that's something that I really pushed for as the academic director of these schools, that I really want for our married students to come with their wives and for their wives to be there with them, working on the farm and learning those things. And, and there are certain classes that I'm requiring of the wives as well so that they can grow spiritually alongside of their husbands. Because when they go out into the villages to plant a new congregation, it's just the two of them. They're working together. And so having those two trained together and, and able to work together, I think, is vital uh, for the success of these things. And so I'm hoping that we'll be able to retrofit the other schools this way as well. But the main crop there has been corn. Uh, this last year, we also added as a major product 
uh, pigs and really excited about what the pigs are doing for us there at Talawanda. Total operating budget for that school is $1,300 a month. That's not too bad. School is now three years old. We've had two graduations there, which is unusual. We have one class, two-year program, so we usually have a graduation every second year. But we had a graduation last year for our first graduation. We sent out five students, and this year we also had a graduation. I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a minute. And then we have our fourth school in Joppa, Nepal. And since from the very beginning of the Manor Project, way back in 2010, Brother Cage Coldwater was invited to go to Nepal and teach some agricultural seminars, teach these guys how they can raise their own food on the slopes of the Himalayas. A very challenging environment to be a farmer. And so we were uh, blessed to be able to do that and, and help them with that. And since that time, uh, we've been helping to operate a nighttime uh, preaching school there. It's been pretty low-key. Uh, we've been supporting it and, and helping with that, but uh, haven't really had a whole lot to do with it. Well, this year, uh, within the last few months, actually, the brethren there in Nepal came to us and they said, we need a full-time preaching school. We want one school here like the ones that you have in Africa. Not only that, the brethren went further. They said that we have been busy and we have secured the land and the facilities where that school can be. We just need you to come and help us establish a school. And so this school is in eastern Nepal. It's uh, right on the Silk Road, kind of the gateway to India. So not only will we be able to reach and train men there in Nepal, but uh, we'll also have easy reach into India, Pakistan, and perhaps even Afghanistan uh, with these men as we send them out. So really excited about the potential there. And so the budget that we've freed up from Cameroon now, we're going to be able to shift to this school here in Nepal. And we're making plans at the beginning of 2023 uh, to go to Nepal and to help get this school off the ground. I'll tell you a little bit about the fruit of these labors. The Renzori School of Preaching in Uganda, as I mentioned, those students are now three years into our two-year program. Uganda has the world record for the longest COVID lockdown. They've had 18 months of hard lockdown. That's not a record you want to have. And so that certainly created some challenging situations. But we've been busy. Here's Jealous, one of our farm workers, uh, working to pollinate the vanilla vines there. Uh, for every little group of vanilla beans that you see, there's a flower that's been pollinated by hand. Uh, it's a pretty labor-intensive crop, but it's a really good cash crop. And I, I think that this is radically going to change the finances for this school. Last year should have been our first big vanilla harvest. Uh, there was a disease uh, that came through the mountains and wiped out most vanilla farms. Uh, we only lost two of our vines through uh, diligent care and perhaps uh, the providence of God. Uh, but our farms are okay. We had a very small harvest and Lord willing then this year we'll have a much bigger harvest and we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime also we continue to raise those food crops and other things there as well. During the lockdowns, though, our faculty and students have not been idle when the school's been closed. We've been busy evangelism in places like the village of Kazarojo. Kazarojo is in the Bundibujo district right on the border with Congo. Matter of fact, that mountain there is in Congo. At the bottom of that mountain is a river that's the border between Uganda and Congo. I wanted to go down there and, and see that river. And Busa said, no, uh, the rebels are in charge of that mountain. And if you get too close to it, they might shoot you. I said, okay, I'll stay here. But that river, by the way, that's where the village of Kazarojo gets their water. That's where they go to bathe, to wash their clothes, to do the dishes, all, all of those things every day, 
and they take that risk into their hands. During the lockdowns, the beginning of this calendar year, some of our graduates and students went there to the village of Kosrojo, began evangelizing, planted a congregation. There are now 40 Christians worshiping in this village of Kosrojo. And when the lockdowns got really bad, and you weren't allowed to move around or have public meetings at all in Uganda, we just shifted across the border to Congo. There's a civil war going on in Congo, no lockdowns. And so in that place, then, we've established five new congregations of the Lord's Church in Congo. Since that time, the violence in Congo has escalated a little bit. Uh, civilians have begun to be uh, targeted and shot, mostly for fun and sport, actually. Uh, but as a result, thousands and thousands of refugees have flooded across the border back into Uganda and are living in refugee camps. Of those five congregations, four of them are now entirely within the borders of Uganda. This new congregation at Kazarojo is hosting 120 Christians from Congo so that they don't have to live in those refugee camps. And so when I was heading there this spring, Somebody brought me a couple of garbage sacks full of clothes bound for Goodwill. You know the sort I'm talking about. So can you use these? I said, sure. Threw them on my bag, and I left. I took them with me to Casarojo. And those new Christians came across the border with nothing but the clothes on their backs. And compared to what they had, what I had was really nice stuff. The wealth that we have here I think many times we take for granted. Those brothers and sisters were so grateful to receive those things. And also cassava flower. Cassava is a plant that is native to Africa, and it is edible from the tip of the leaf to the bottom of the root. It's also very nutritious. Generally, it's the root that is ground into a flower, and you can uh, make different things with it. Uh, Africans generally make uh, what they call Porsche or Ugali. Uh, it's kind of like a wallpaper-based thing. Uh, but it's very filling, very nutritious. And that's what the poor people eat. If you can't afford to eat anything else, you can eat cassava. And so you hear people complaining, things have been so bad, it's been so hard, uh, I've only had cassava to eat. By the way, cassava is gluten-free, so you can buy it at Walmart or Kroger. It's kind of pricey. When I tell the Africans how much we pay for cassava here, they get a big kick out of that. But I was able to give these... Christian refugees, about a two-month supply of cassava flour, something to help them get by and figure out what's next as they've been displaced from their homes. Another place that we've been busy during the lockdowns is the village of Chinika. Jealous, our farm worker that you saw pollinating the vanilla a minute ago. Uh, when he first came to us, it was when we were building the school. He heard that we were doing that. He came looking for work, and he worked helping to build the school and things like that. While he was there, he learned the gospel, became a Christian. He's from the village of Chinika. During the lockdowns, he was back home at his village there at the top of the screen. That's the main road to Chinika. When we came to that bridge, the motorcycle driver that I was riding with made me get off. He didn't think that bridge could hold both of us. I don't want to hear anything, Doug. <laughs> So I had to walk, but uh, Jealous went back to Chinika and began sharing the gospel with his friends and neighbors. And there are now 30 Christians in that village. 
And one of them said, we need a place to worship. And I have some land, so they, they donated the land, and a building was erected. And uh, we would look at it, so that's a fine running shelter for horses or something like that. But it, it works. Uh, it, it's a place where they meet, and they're worshiping there, and there's others from the village who are coming and learning. And the gospel continues to go out. Just down the hill from Chinica is the town of Nyambuco. Nyambuco is a much uh, bigger place. The road is wide enough that trucks can actually get there. So those that are raising coffee in Chinica, they carry their coffee down the hill to Nyambuco to sell it. And we were asked to visit with the church at Nyambuco while we were there. So we went there and three of our graduates heard that we were going to be there. And so they came to meet with us. So there on the far left of the picture is uh, Jimmy. There in the black is Josephat. The other blue shirt there is Kule Ronald. And then the tan jacket, that's Jealous, our farm worker. Jimmy and Josephat both graduated in January of 2020. They were part of our second class. When Jimmy graduated, he went to Ibanda District to help plant a congregation there. There was no church there in Ibanda District. And there is now a thriving congregation in Ibanda. It's standing on its own feet. And Jimmy has moved on. He's gone somewhere else in the Rizroy Mountains and is working to plant another congregation. Josephat, uh, here's the top of the class when he graduated. Uh, he went to the town of Kidodo and helped to establish a congregation in Kidodo. <coughs> that congregation has just finished uh, building their own building. And there are over 100 Christians there at Kidodo. And Josephat also has moved on and is helping to plant another congregation. And then we have Kule Ronald. Ronald uh, has been... Uh, instrumental in a lot of evangelism in Bundibujo district. He helped to establish the congregation at Karindi and also the church there at Kazarajo that we saw a moment ago. And he's continuing to work and establish congregations. So it's encouraging to hear from our graduates, these men that we've sent out, and, and to know that they're okay, that they're supporting themselves, and they're doing the work that we sent them out to do. And so after a hard Sunday riding up in the mountains, going to Chinica and Yambuco, we got back to the hotel. And the Rensroy International Hotel is a very nice place. It's like 30 bucks a night, but they have both air conditioning and indoor plumbing. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. But um, that morning before we left, uh, Jovi, one of the hotel workers, came to us and said, would you study the Bible with me? We said, sure, we'd love to. Tonight when we get back, we'll do that. We got back to the hotel, we find out that Jovia had been busy. She told all of her co-workers that we were going to study together. So we got back, we found 15 hotel employees sitting out here waiting to study with us. There's not 15 in that picture, there's about 13 I think, because that was the entire hotel staff. So every now and then one of them had to jump up and, and deal with this, that, or the other thing. And as we were discussing, and two of the ladies in particular, Jovia and Agnes, we're asking some very excellent questions. And they're asking, you know, I, I, I see the, the Anglican Church, and I see the, the, the Pentecostal Church, and I see the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I see the, the Church of Christ. Why all these different churches? And does, does it matter which, which one you go to? And, and if it does, how do you know what's, what's true and, and what's right? And so we talked about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that we ought to all speak the same thing, that we ought to be of the same mind and the same judgment. There should be no division among those who follow Jesus Christ. And the idea that if two people disagree on what the Bible says, they can't both be right, but they can both be wrong. You see, the only, reason, the only way for us to all be right is for us to all come to agree with the truth. 
of the gospel. That's God's will, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we talked about those things, I think that both Jovia and Agnes were very close to the kingdom as we ran out of time. And so we left them in the capable hands of Mbusa, our director, to continue studying with them and bringing them along. And as we were running out of time and they really needed to get on to other things, a car pulled up to the gate and began honking. In that car was Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a sister in Christ, and she heard that we were there. And so she rented a car and came to get us. And she said, my husband Crispus is not a member of the church. And would you please come to my house and study with him? And so as darkness settled in, we got into her car and drove off into the night. And we went to her home, shared a lovely meal with her and her family. Uh, her children were there with us. Her oldest daughter's a nurse. Actually, she was working as a volunteer at a COVID clinic. She hadn't seen a patient in two weeks. Kind of nice. And as we were there studying with Elizabeth, with her husband Christmas, we had kind of the same conversation with him that we had had with Jovia and Agnes earlier. And... As we were talking about the church that Jesus promised to build, the one that, that, that Paul established, the places that, that he went, that one body we read about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, we were talking about the way that that church is, is organized. You see that outline in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, to all the saints which are Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And that with the local congregation you have elders who are overseers, and then you have, have deacons who help with the work. And we pointed out as an example, one of the few congregations in Uganda that has matured to the point that they have elders, the church at Maliba Village. And Christmas said, you know Maliba Village? I'm from Maliba Village. I said, well, yes, we were just there yesterday. We were, we were actually meeting with the elders. Do you know Solomon? He said, oh, I know Solomon. Solomon is, is a good man. So yes, he is. Because Solomon is following the teachings of Jesus Christ. And as... We prepared to leave. Crispus said, I'm going to go home to Malibuville. I'm going to find Solomon. I'm going to talk to him about this church, the one you find in the Bible. You see, and this happened because his wife cared enough to go find somebody that he would listen to. Another place that we were pressed to go was the village of Kitoko. Tom is one of our instructors there at the Renzori School of Preaching. And he helped to establish the church at Kitoko. It's at the summit of the Renzori Mountains, about 6,500 feet at elevation. You saw the road to Chinika. The road to Kitoko is a little more than a goat trail. And Tom really wanted us to go visit the church there at Kitoko. And he's been saying, there's 200 Christians up here. And me and Greg were both like, no, ain't no way. Not way up there. And those remote mountains can't happen. So we get up there to this fine brick building with the, the tarp for a roof. And here's the thing about that building. There's not a single penny of American money in that building. The brethren there at Kotoko have worked, and they've dug the dirt, and they've made the bricks, and they've pulled that building up out of the ground. They've got it up to the ring beam now. And currently they're saving so that they can put rafters and, and a roof on it. But that's, that's the goal, is to plant congregations that are self-sufficient. And there in that building, we found 200 Christians waiting for us. And one of the first things Tom wanted to do, he stood up and apologized to us. He said, as you know, the lockdowns have been lifted for now, and that's why you're able to be here. And because of that, the schools have opened again. So we have about 80 students 
who've left to go back to school. Otherwise, they would be here too. He said, Tom, how in the world have you reached all of these people way up here? He said, I haven't done it by myself. He wanted us to meet this group of men. Each of these men is somebody that Tom shared the gospel with. And after baptizing them into Christ, he continued taking them with him and teaching them to study the Bible and really just to share with others what he had shared with them. And then these guys have crawled all over those mountainside and through those valleys, set the place on fire with the gospel. And they're the ones that have made this happen. And, you know, sometimes I think we get this idea that you have to go through a, a preaching school to be able to share the gospel. No, you don't. You need to know enough to share with somebody else what you know, the reason why you're a Christian. And there's great tools to do that. Right? Back there on that table, I see so. Brothers and sisters, if that'll work in the remote mountains of Uganda, I think it'll work here in Oklahoma. And, by the way, speaking of Tom, our director in Busa, who's been the director of the school since the beginning, has asked to step down. Uh, he's got some other thing that he, things that he wants to do, some congregations he wants to help plant. And so after graduation, he's going to step aside from being the director. Tom's the guy that we've tapped to replace him because we want this mentality, this mindset to be instilled in our students as they continue to go out. Speaking of that graduation in January, I should have already bought my tickets to go. But there's been an Ebola outbreak in Uganda. It is now in nine districts. It's in Bundibujo district there where Karendi and Kazaroho are, where Kule Ronald is working. It's in Mubinde district where we like to stop and get chicken on a stick and fried grasshoppers. It's also in Kampala and Entebbe, the major city is the capital there. There's over 140 confirmed cases over 40 confirmed deaths, and it continues to spread. So we will not be able to attend the graduation. Matter of fact, uh, the government there in Uganda has applied the lessons they've learned in COVID, and to stop the Ebola virus, they've implemented a hard lockdown. My prayer is that that will work to stop the virus, but also we know it's already bringing with it the starvation and the suffering and the poverty that the previous lockdowns had brought. We need to be praying for our brethren in that situation. Brothers and sisters, whether it's there in Uganda, whether it's here in the States, we can't grow discouraged, we can't grow weary, we can't give up. We need to plant, plant, plant. Talawanda, Tanzania. You may remember, as I mentioned, when we first got to Tanzania, the only two Christians in the village of Talawanda were the ones we brought with us. The church there now has over 30 saints. One of our graduates is preaching there. And when you leave that village, it doesn't matter which road you go out on. The next village you come to, there's a congregation of the Lord's Church that wasn't there two years ago. And it continues to thrive. And as I mentioned, those pigs are really bringing in the bacon. We are doing a wonderful business selling pork in Muslim food markets to support the spread of the gospel. The biggest problem we've had is we ran out of room for the pigs. So twice the pigs paid to expand their barn. Uh, and still didn't have enough room, so then the pigs built themselves a new barn at the back of the farm. And the old pig barn, then we cleaned that out real good, and that's a chicken coop. And so we're raising chickens, selling meat and eggs. And during the month of Ramadan, when the Muslims are fasting, our pork sales go way down. And so we're hoping the chickens will be able to help bridge that gap uh, that we know is there. <coughs> and one of the other things we're doing there at the school, Maurice, who are, who's our director, his brother Julius, is running an orphanage right next door. 
And he's got about 15 kids there. He's given them a place to live, giving them clothes and education, teaching them the gospel. We do everything together. We have devotion at the school. The kids come over and worship with us. And the principals of farming that we're teaching there at the school, they're applying there at the orphanage. And so Mr. Peter, who's there with the kids, they're out working in the garden, planting under this tree, and heard a noise. Big swarm of bees in this tree. So I grabbed a couple of bee suits that I brought for just such an occasion and grabbed Gaston, and we climbed up in that tree and started getting bees. Gaston did really well until I started throwing handfuls of bees at him anyway. Uh, but we got all the bees out of the tree. Mr. Peter was excited because some of the kids could keep gardening. And we have now not one but two active hives on our farm. We're using those to pollinate our crops. And Lord willing, here in a couple of months, we'll have a pretty sweet harvest as a result. I mentioned we've had two graduations here at Talawana. This is the reason why. Epiphanos and Goy. When I first met him, he was a fire gospel Pentecostal preacher. And he could tell me about how he could speak in tongues and, 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 and the healings that had been done and the miracles that he'd worked and all those things. And we studied about principles of authority. We talked about how the Holy Spirit revealed the scriptures contained in the New Testament. And that same Holy Spirit then is not later going to say or do something that contradicts what he said in the Bible. And over a period of weeks, we continued studying with Epiphanos, and he said, I need to be added to the church Jesus built. I need to wash my sins away. So he was baptized into Christ. He was preaching for a congregation of over 200, and he said, I need to go to preaching school. I need to learn, because I don't know enough to teach these people. He said, great, next year we'll have another intake. You can come in a year. He said, no, I can't wait. I need to go now. These people are, are looking to me to teach them. So we made an exception for him. He did the second year first, and, and the first year second. And he took us to the congregation where he'd been preaching, and we taught them the gospel. Almost all 200 of them were baptized into Christ. Took us to five other congregations of that fellowship. We shared the gospel with them. Almost all of them were baptized into Christ. Six new congregations of the Lord's church. Here's Epiphanes at graduation, reciting from memory the entirety of Acts chapter 2. Upon graduating, him and his wife, and there's his wife on the left, uh, have gone back to the city of Morogoro to work with that congregation, take an orphan into their home. They're providing for him, teaching him the gospel. That other Maasai tribesman is a Christian because of him. There on the other edge of the screen, almost off the screen, is Alex. Alex is one of the graduates from our first class. His father's a Pentecostal preacher. Sent him to school to learn the Bible. He learned it. Became a Christian. He's gone back home to Pingo Village, began evangelizing. Talked to the village elders. They gave him a place. A building's been built. There's a congregation of 30 there at Pingo. And if anybody in the village has a question about the Bible, they come to Alex because they know he knows the book and he's respected for it. And the church there continues to grow. Another one of our students, Joseph Kazidi, had contacts in the village of Mindukini. And so he went to Mindukini, began evangelizing, knocking doors and studying the Bible with people. The village elders gave us a place. We erected this fine structure. Sunday morning, put the tarps over it. We worship and then we take the tarps down before we leave. And so we're there Sunday morning, and everybody that's gathered there, they're, they're not Christians, but they've been studying. They've come to learn. And right next door is this roadside cafe kind of thing in that mud hut. And there's a woman in there cooking, getting ready for the lunchtime rush. And during the Bible study, if there's a question that's asked, she answers it. And something said during the sermon, she amends it. After the, the worship was over, Joseph Kazidi stood up. He said, you know, we have our traditional religion. We go to the cemetery, and we pray to our ancestors. We ask them to help us with this or that. He said, you need to leave that foolishness behind. Your ancestors can't give you heaven. Only Jesus has heaven. Who's ready to follow the truth? Who's ready to follow Jesus and become a Christian? Eight hands went up. And so we went down to the water. And eight souls were baptized into Christ. This was the beginning 
of the church there at Mendukini. One of those eight was in that cafe. She missed the lunchtime rush that day, but she left her sins in that water. The church, that was in July, the church there at Mendukini now has 16 Christians and more who are coming. We had hoped that afternoon after Mendukini go to Pingo Village to meet this new congregation that Alex has planted. I haven't gotten to meet them yet. But there were some difficulties and some miscommunications. We weren't able to go. But meanwhile, this fellow in the blue and white t-shirt, Philbert, was calling. He said, I need to meet with you. Philbert's a Christian, a soldier in Tanzania army. He was at the city of Msada. Now, at Msada, you need to understand, there's not just one, but there's two paved roads, and they intersect. It's a big place. So we get there to Msada, and Philbert says, I have a problem. I have not been living like I should. I have not been worshiping like I should. I have not been faithful to Jesus Christ, and I'm not okay. And so we spent some time, is that five minutes? No, that's it. All right. <laughs> I'll wrap this up real quick. We spent some time talking and studying with him. He was restored. And he said, I have another problem. There's not a church here at Msada. But I have a plan. I'm saving money. I'm going to buy land, a place where we can worship. But I can't do this by myself. We said, that's okay. We're in the preacher business. So every Lord's Day since then, we've sent two students to Msada to evangelize with Philbert and to work with him and worship with him. Beginning with his family, we spread the gospel. There are now seven Christians at Msada and more who are coming and learning. Brothers and sisters, whether it's there, whether it's here, don't grow discouraged. Don't give up. Plant, plant, plant. And there's other places where we've been, incidentally, Ukraine, Istanbul, Portugal. In Portugal, there's a congregation of Ukrainians and Nepalese that speak Russian, spreading the gospel. And I realize sometimes you may think that's way over there, but it doesn't work here. People are interested here. That's not true. Sometimes it's a very international affair. Doug knows the story of Sam and Christine. He got to meet them at Polishing the Pulpit. Uh, I was, Christine contacted me on the internet. She's from Boston, Massachusetts. She said, I'm a faithful Catholic. My priest won't answer my questions. But you're a preacher. Will you talk to me? I said, sure. I love talking about the Bible. Shared the gospel with her. She was baptized into Christ. And she said, I'm worried about my husband, Sam. He's not interested in religion. Sam said, I want to learn what Christine learned and be the next one baptized. And I messaged Sam. I said, I don't know a lot about Massachusetts. I realize it's not in Tennessee, but I'm going to be in Tennessee next week. He said, really? Funny thing, we're going to be taking our daughter to internship in Florida. We'll just rebook our flights home. So he rebooked his flights home, rented a car, got a hotel, spent two days in Tennessee studying the Bible with me. Tell me people here aren't interested. He was also baptized, and their first goal was to share what they now know with their four children. Really do appreciate y'all's fellowship in what we do. If you haven't done so already, check out our website, manofarm.org. Subscribe to our email list. If you're on social media, like and follow us, facebook.com slash manofproject, Church of Christ. We do need seven other congregations or individuals to have fellowship with us this next year to fully fund the things that we have planned for 2023. And as you know, when the congregation gets involved in foreign mission work, the local congregation benefits and grows. And so I'm excited about the fruit that I see here. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your prayers. They make a difference. Thank you.
And I'm out of time, but I'm going to stick around. If you have any questions, you want to visit with, about me with something, be sure and get with me. I love to talk. I'm a preacher. <laughs> Appreciate your time this morning.